Science on the Menu, a podcast by the European Food Safety Authority. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of EFSA's podcast series, Science on the Menu. My name is James Ramsey. I'm the head of communications here at EFSA. And today we're going to be talking about contaminants in food. And to do that uh, and to join me in the studio, we have Mary Gilsonen. Uh, Mary is the head of our unit for feed and contaminants. A very warm welcome to you, Mary. How are you? Thank you, James. I'm good. Thank you. Great. Let's start with the the basics. So um, what, what do we mean when we're talking about contaminants in, in food? Just give us a bit of context to, to help us understand. Okay. So, um, I mean, there are different uh, types of uh, food contaminants. Um, we have um, the classic ones, like when we, microbial contaminants, when we eat um, salmonella or listeria, for example, and we get sick the next day, we, we know all about those. Um, but there's also, um, they're more like microbial contaminants. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is more on chemical contaminants. And these are um, a, a whole vast array of chemical substances that are present in our food supply, um, unintentionally present. Okay, They're not deliberately added, like um, pesticides, for example. Um, they're unintentionally present for different reasons and uh, generally present at low doses. Um, but if we consume um, them over a long period, um, they could have uh, harmful effects on health. Okay. So so you mentioned they're not intentionally added. How might they uh, enter into the food supply uh, then? What are the different kind of routes uh, for contaminants to come into our food? I mean, they can uh, they can be present in food for uh, through different routes. Um, so we have naturally occurring uh, chemical contaminants, yeah. um, and they they enter the food chain um, naturally, um, usually through plant based foods. Yeah. So what 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 would be an example of that? Uh, a typical example would be mycotoxins, okay? Uh, toxins that are produced from moles that form on plants, mm-hmm. um, either in the field or post-harvest, yeah? Um, and there are many, many types of different uh, mycotoxins in the in the food supply produced from different types of moles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, even though they're natural, we, we sometimes think natural yeah. with a good connotation, but natural is not always good. Yeah. They can be quite harmful. Um, then uh, we have process contaminants, yeah. um, which um, occur during processing or cooking. Um, and they're, they kind of form naturally during processing and cooking, but um, um, they can also have harmful effects as well um, if consumed in large amounts. The other type of contaminants that we assess the safety of are environment, environmental contaminants. And these are um, things like uh, dioxins, PCBs, brominated flame retardants um, that are um, emitted into the environment, um, air, water, soil, for example, and end up in the food chain. Okay, yeah. these, are, these would be, am I right in thinking these are sometimes referred to as the forever chemicals? Indeed, yes, yeah, because okay. they're so persistent in the in the food chain. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, one 
class of chemicals uh, that falls under this this umbrella, I think, um, is PFAS. We've seen a lot of, of coverage in the media recently about about that, and um, our colleagues also. We've done some work on PFAS in the in the past. Um, and our colleagues at the European Chemicals Agency are also working on that. And in fact, um, before we sat down today, we, we took a moment to speak with them um, to, to tell us about what they're doing in this area. So um, we'll, we'll hear what they have to say and then we'll come back to, uh, to our conversation here. Why PFAS are a problem. I am Bastian Zeiger. I work at the European Chemicals Agency or ECA. PFAS are very persistent and even if the releases would stop today, exposure would continue for many decades or even centuries. They contaminate, for example, groundwater, but also drinking water, and they are very, very difficult to clean up. This means that they accumulate in the environment up to a point where they will cause an effect. This is especially an issue because they are used in so many different applications. To give you a few examples, they're used in food contact materials, like in our frying pan. They're used in textiles, like in the waterproof jacket that you put on when it's raining outside. But also in a host of different industrial applications. This also means that daily exposure leads to presence in our blood. And in fact, most of us have them in our blood today. Now let's talk about the proposal that has been submitted to ECA. It was submitted at the beginning of this year by Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, Norway and Sweden. And it covers all PFAS and all uses of PFAS. There was a six months consultation which ended on the 25th of September and we received a record 5,600 comments from over 50 countries. They were submitted mostly by companies but also by sector associations, NGOs, individuals, and so on. You can access all non-confidential comments on our website. The Risk Assessment Committee and the Socioeconomic Analysis Committee are currently evaluating the proposal that we have received. RAC, the Risk Assessment Committee, is looking at the PFAS risks. SEAC, the Socioeconomic Analysis Committee, is evaluating the costs and benefits of the proposed restriction. We are very committed to deliver a final opinion as soon as possible, while at the same time ensuring that there is proper scrutiny by the scientific committees. Once the opinion has been adopted by both RAC and SEAC, it will be published on our website and the Commission, together with the EU countries, will decide on the final restriction. That's what we're kind of we're looking out for, I guess, at EFSA. I mean, what do we what do we do? I mean, what does a risk assessment of, of contaminants uh, in in food or chemical contaminants in food involve? Then, how would we we go about, you know, looking at these uh, these these chemicals? Okay. Well, typically we get a request from our the, the risk manager in Brussels, the legislator okay. in Brussels, to look at a particular contaminant or class of contaminants. Um, and we work with a, a team of experts um, from all over Europe with all different uh, disciplines. So we cover all areas that need to be covered. And um, we would typically, um, or our experts would typically assess the toxicology literature mm-hmm. um, and look at all the possible toxic effects that a particular contaminant could cause uh, for humans or animals depending on, on what literature is available. 
Um, we would also um, look at the, uh, we would also estimate the dietary intake of a particular contaminant in food. Okay, this takes you back that, to That's PhD. my background, yeah. indeed. And we have a team of uh, experts here in-house in EFSA doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have very, very good uh, data uh, collected in EFSA to do that, that we get from uh, different European countries. And um, we um, essentially, our experts co- look at the toxic, uh, toxic, toxic effects. They agree on the most sensitive toxic effect. Um, and then um, they, es- they estimate um, um, the, the level, the highest dose of a, ca- of a contaminant that does not produce a toxic, an adverse effect in animals, for example. And then they would apply a, a safety factor to that and try to estimate um, a tolerable daily intake, a safe uh, intake for, for humans. And, and then, we, of course, we, we compare that to the estimated dietary intake and they assess um, the risk based on the intake and the toxicological effect, basically. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So if, if the exposure is above that level, uh, the, 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 let's say the safe level for one to all the to- yeah. tolerable daily intake yeah then uh but there's there's a risk uh, that implies a risk that implies a, a risk yeah yeah. Okay. yeah and with that um uh with that advice so that that describes the risk assessment that we do we we then provide that advice don't we back to the the, the so-called risk managers so in, in this case it's the european commission or the member states and they can then decide on actions to take uh, you know, in the European Union. Exactly, yeah. Um, they typically, um, in Brussels, they, they, they typically um, legislate based on our scientific assessments, and that could be um, um, putting in place maximum levels in, uh, of contaminants in food, or feed, by the way, because some come in through uh, uh, through animal feed into mm-hmm. the animals and then humans. Um, um, or they might um, set recommendations for closer monitoring of particular contaminants in member states yeah. and, and ask the, the member states to send those um, data to EFSA every year. So they keep, a, keep, keep an eye on the situation, basically, yeah. in the member states. Very good. You've, you've given us a sense, Mary, of, of you know, what it is that EFSA does and you know, the different types of, of, um, of chemical contaminants that we're looking at. Um, just, just on the, I just wanted to go back to something you were saying about the process contaminants. So, because it it strikes me that, you know, we may as consumers be familiar with some of these, uh, with some of these contaminants, some are in the environment. Okay. Where as an individual, you can have, you know, there's not a lot you can do, uh, to, to, you know, impact on your exposure to these, uh, to these substances. But with some of these process contaminants, there is a, there is something that, you know, me as a consumer in my own home can do. Can you just talk, talk a bit to us about that and maybe give us a specific example? Um, that's true. I think I think the process contaminants are, are, are the ones that are closest to our kitchen, okay. really. Um, and uh, the most the one that most people know about, of course, is acrylamide, yeah, because um, uh, it, it forms during um, uh, high temperature cooking, yeah. Um, also in the kitchen as well as in the the, the, the factories, the food factories. Mm. Um, but that's one where you know we as consumers 
um, do have a little bit of autonomy in controlling uh, the level of acrylamide that that we consume. Yeah. So what does a, what would acrylamide? How would I recognise it in the kitchen? Then what's it look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the nice um, when you bake uh, mm-hmm. or fry, yeah, fried chips, for example, the nice brown colour on the chips, or when you yeah. bake a cake, the nice uh, browning on the top. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's typically that nice brown colour that we have on on baked and fried uh, food. Um, it also gives it a nice taste as well. Um, but um, and also toast uh, when we when we toast. Um, but uh, yes, if we overdo it a little bit, um, yeah, it's probably perhaps not good on the acrylamide index. Okay, so and and what's the risk from from acrylamide? I mean, I, if I if I remember correctly, it's linked to to, to carcinogenic effects, so cancerous effects. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So that's an example where we as as consumers, I guess, can you know do something ourselves to try and reduce our exposure to or our intake of of uh, of these chemicals exactly and what would that mean how, how do you how do you go about doing that well if you like uh, if you like to cook uh, if you like potato chips and you like to cook them in the deep fat fryer for example yeah um you know it might be uh good if you want to reduce your acrylamide um, to reduce your intake of uh, fried chips in the deep fat fryer um which can also be a win-win situation because if you want to look at your waistline as well it's probably a good thing <laughs> Yeah, to cut yeah. down on those type of go. foods. Mm. Okay, a double double win, a double yes. benefit. Okay, Mary, thanks very much. Well, we've we've talked to you today about um, you know what EFSA is doing uh, in this in this space. You know what the different types of chemical contaminants uh, we find in food are. Um, before we close, I just wanted to, to to ask you, you know, to look forward a little bit um, and to ask you. Um, for your thoughts on what the future holds for the assessment or the risk assessment of chemical contaminants. Yeah, that's food. a good question. Do you have any um, thoughts on that? I mean, probably climate change is 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 one, is, a, is a big factor that will influence the 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 levels and the distribution of chemical contaminants in our food. And here I go back to what I was talking about previously about mycotoxins, the natural, the naturally occurring contaminants, mm-hmm. um, because you know as as the climate uh, changes and and Europe gets hotter, um, those type of these type of changes have a direct impact on the formation of molds and crops, for example, and um, they can induce um, yeah even other other mycotoxins that we've not looked at yet for example or even um they can change the ver- the veracity of existing mycotoxins so i i think this is probably one of the key um factors that will influence the level of contaminants in our food chain okay. yeah, in the future and is that something that EFSA is is kind of working on already do we have a Absolutely. Yeah. We have done several scientific opinions on, on mycotoxins in particular. Um, it's probably one of the most common type of requests that we get from our uh, the legislator in Brussels uh, in, in these years. Um, and um, apart from doing scientific assessments, we're also working with universities and member states to try to understand more how mycotoxins are formed, um, in the in the environment and the impact of climate change and on on mycotoxins in food. Okay, Mary, uh, thanks. Before we let you go, one last uh, question: Do you have any any advice, any anything you'd like to share with our listeners um, on the subject of contaminants in food? 
I would like to reassure everybody that um, here in Europe, we have a very strict regulated food safety system um, to make sure that contaminants are highly regulated and that uh, our health is protected. Um, I'd also like to um, encourage everybody to enjoy food and continue to eat a balanced and healthy diet. And um, one of my personal tips that I, maybe I can share is um, whenever the toaster overdoes the toast, I, I always scrape the black off before I eat it. <laughs> to, to get rid of the get rid of the acrylamide and furans. Yes. Very good. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mary. That that's brilliant. Good good note to end on. Uh, thank you very much for your time. It's been a real pleasure to to speak with you today and to get your insights and expertise. To our listeners, uh, if you'd like more information on contaminants in food and a whole host of other subjects, then do check out our website. Um, we will be back again soon with the next episode of uh, Science on the Menu, so please stay tuned.